Our text for today is found in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. These are the words of the living God, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this awesome passage. I thank you for an opportunity to preach it to your people. I pray that you would help me to do that well. I pray that you would help your people to attend to the things that are being said. Remove all distractions from us. Show us the pattern of the early church. Uh, Give us insight into the life of the early church so that we might enter into it, Lord, and be more faithful, as faithful as we can be. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, You know, out there in the world, uh, there are certain patterns that we see in creation. Uh, For instance, every time we see two and two coming together out there in the world, we get the number four. And this is how we do mathematics today. This is also how we're able to do things like build bridges and rocket ships and skyscrapers, and we're able to tell uh, directly where bombs are going to drop. I mean, there's patterns out there that help us. God is placed in the world for a very uh, particular purpose. Uh, As many of you know, I mentioned before Shiloh had surgery this Friday, and I was listening to a podcast uh, while I was waiting for her to come out, and, and I learned that the father of anesthesiology was a Christian. Uh, So if you are a Christian and you are going in for surgery, thank God for the pattern of putting people to sleep (laughs) before uh, they have a surgery. He was reading his Bible, he was reading through the book of Genesis, and he saw that when God took Adam's rib out, he put him to sleep first. And he was like, well, why aren't we doing that today? Why aren't we putting our people to sleep before we have surgery on them? And so he started working that out, and that is where anesthesiology came from. And so there are patterns like this in the world. There are things that God has showed us in his word that we must pattern our lives after, ways that we are to live in order for us to grow and prosper. And today in our text, we see another pattern being laid down. It is the pattern that the early apostolic church laid down for worship and evangelism, and we do well to follow it. Okay, So there's a pattern in the early church, so it shows us how to worship, shows us how to do evangelism. This is evangelism. This is sort of the blueprint that God has given us for the church throughout uh, the ages. Um, and 
we only grow, truly grow, and prosper, and the church only truly grows and prosper, prospers when we follow the patterns that God has set down for us in his word. So two things, very simple today. Two points, and they are very uh, base. Uh, number one, uh, God has given us a pattern for the church, and therefore we must follow that pattern. Simple, right? God has given us a pattern for the church, and therefore we must follow that pattern. And second, God has given us a pattern for the church, and therefore when we follow that pattern, we will be blessed. Okay? So we see that first point. Uh, God has given us a pattern for the church, and therefore we must follow that pattern in verse 42. Let's read that again together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Um, so last week we saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, upon the church to equip us with the wherewithal to do this work of carrying on the, the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ in the world. And at uh, Pentecost, we said that there were 3,000 people converted in one day at the preaching of the apostles. They were baptized and they were added to the church. And the next thing we see is what we see in our text today. It's sort of a picture of how the early church gathered together and what they did uh, during their uh, gatherings. <clears throat> the text tells us they devoted themselves to four things. And I have a slide here uh, with the four things that they did. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching or devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And we'll look at each individually. So first, the apostles' teaching. Uh, this, this points to the fact that the early converts committed themselves uh, to learning from the apostles. And again, the apostles were men that God raised up uh, in his church to carry on uh, the mission and work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world. And the apostles' teaching refers to the whole body of literature that we see throughout uh, the New Testament. Uh, it is the revelation that God has given to his uh, church in order to establish and grow it. And everything grows out of this apostolic teaching. It is the teaching that we are to live according to. Some of you may remember Chris, Chris Baker in his last sermon that he preached here when he handed off the baton to me, he talked about the importance of apostolic doctrine and how it had been handed down over the years. And if we preach apostolic doctrine, true apostolic doctrine, and if we hold to true apostolic doctrine, then we have a true church. And if we do not, we do not have a true church. Okay, uh, You must ground everything that you do on the apostles' teaching. Everything hinges upon this teaching. It creates and establishes the church. And if we get this wrong, everything else that we do afterwards is going to be wrong. Proper ministry, proper practice, the things that we do with our hands flow out of proper doctrine. You have to have your doctrine right. You have to have your doctrine in order or your practice will not be right. So if we get this wrong, everything else that follows, everything behind it is wrong. So the, the apostles' teaching is imperative to the church. And so we see that the early apostolic church dedicated themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The next thing mentioned is the, the fellowship. The fellowship. And the word koinonia here means to participate in together, uh, to share with, to have a partnership with one another 
in something. And I think that this generally refers to everything that the church did together. Uh, But specifically, a few things that they did. But generally, I think it is referring to the fact that uh, the church, when they did stuff, they did it together. (laughs) They had fellowship, okay? Uh, So uh, they worshiped together. That is, they would come and they would gather together on a regular basis to have communion with God and one another. And in those meetings, uh, there was a meal that they would celebrate, which came to be known as the agape feast or the love feast, sort of like a potluck today where everybody would bring their food together and, and eat with uh, one another. And at the end of that feast, they would have the Lord's Supper and there would be uh, the prayers. <clears throat> but it wasn't just the worship. It was everywhere they went and everything they did, they did it together. Say that again. Everywhere they went and everything they did, they did it together. They ate together. They went to the temple to pray together. They did their good deeds together. They put their possessions together and they all shared them with one another. Verse 44 tells us they had all things in common. You see that in your text? They had all things in common in verse 44. And this is the mark of a true church. You are united together. You have fellowship together. You do everything that you do together. Not divided, not separated, not one little sect over here and another little sect over there, but together. Okay, So this is another mark of the true church. They had fellowship, had fellowship with one another. Third, you have the breaking of bread. And this is what I'm calling a shorthand way in the church uh, that Luke uses to refer to the Lord's Supper. Okay, so every time they got together in their meetings, when they met, they had the Lord's Supper together. Um, the breaking of the bread represents a, a separate part of their meeting uh, known as the Lord's Supper. And this is a phrase that Luke is fond of using uh, in his writings. Uh, he uses it throughout the book of Acts to describe an instance in which the disciples gathered together, and every time they gathered together in that meeting, they broke bread or they had the Lord's Supper. As a matter of fact, uh, Luke tells us this is the reason that they gathered together on the first day of the week. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 reads, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, that is why they were gathered together, to break bread to celebrate the Lord's Supper. In other words, the Lord's Supper was central in their gatherings. Their meetings were uh, gathered around the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the focal point of their meeting. Uh, This phrase, as I've said, that Luke uses, the breaking of the bread most likely sets it apart from that meal that I mentioned before, right? They would have a meal together. They would have a fellowship meal. And at the end of that meal, they would have the Lord's Supper. And the breaking of the bread set it apart. Uh, this this phrase or this thing that they did, it's more a thing, they would break the bread in Jewish tradition at the beginning of uh, their meal. And in every one of the gospel accounts, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, there's breaking of bread at the beginning. When Paul reiterates it to us two times, he says that the bread is to be broken, the bread is broken. Um, and even in his gospel prior to this, Luke, you may remember on the road to Emmaus, when the disciples are walking with Jesus, Uh, Later on, they go in and they sit and they have a meal together, and the text tells us that he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. He broke the bread, and all of a sudden, they realized who he was, but prior to that, he was veiled. And Jesus, in the same way, is made known to us in the breaking of bread today. He reveals himself to us today in the breaking of bread. And as I've said throughout the book of Acts, Luke uses as a a sort of uh, 
uh, shorthand for the church celebrating the Lord's Supper. And this is what set that meal apart from their common meal. The bread was torn, bread was broken, and uh, the Lord's Supper would begin. So another thing that characterizes the early church is that in each one of their meetings, they had communion together. In each one of their meetings, they had communion together as a part of their meeting. Finally, we have the prayers, uh, which most likely refers to the common prayers that the, uh, the church would pray when they came together. They are uh, possibly a set prayers, prayers that they would pray uh, regularly. And early in the apostolic church, they still went down to the temple at the hour of prayer to pray. Um, it's, it's there in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and we see that they're still going up to the temple here in our text. But they also separated from the temple. And they would have their own little private uh, church meetings at their home, Christian meetings, uh, at the end of which they would uh, celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper and they would have prayers and possibly sing psalms, possibly sing the songs at the end of their meetings. <clears throat> um, and so there are numerous examples of this sort of thing throughout the book of Acts. You just read the book of Acts, you will see the church coming together on a regular basis to pray together. So it is a church that prays together, right? It's a praying church. It's a church that fellowships together, it's a church that communes together, and it's a church that holds to apostolic uh, doctrine. This is the example of what biblical worship looks like. Uh, We are given here by the apostolic church a model or a pattern of what our worship services ought to look like. So let's ask ourselves the question, are we measuring up? Um, are we being faithful to the pattern or to the model that has been set down for us uh, by the early church here today in our text? And sometimes one of the best ways to examine something is by saying what it's not, <laughs> right? You evaluate something by saying what it's not. So what are some things that the church is doing today that are not apostolic, that are not apostolic? And I'm just I'm not just focusing on our church, but the church in general. We're talking about the church, which we are a part of. So what are some of the things that the church is doing that are not apostolic? Well, one example that I will give will be known as what I'm going to call for the sake of our meeting today, Jeffersonian syndrome. Jeffersonian syndrome. How many of you have heard about the Bible that uh, one of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, made for himself? That's right, he made a Bible for himself. As far as we can tell, uh, Thomas Jefferson, one of the early uh, fathers of America, was not a Christian in the true sense of, of the word. Uh, he was a deist. Okay? He was one of these guys who believed that God just kind of set the world in motion and then stepped back and then wasn't really involved with it in any real and meaningful way. He also rejected the divinity of Jesus, so not Christian. Okay? Rejects the divinity of Jesus, and he thought that the, the writings had been perverted, that the scriptures had been perverted by Jesus' followers, namely in the Gospels and particularly uh, by the Apostle Paul. And so you know what Thomas Jefferson did? He made himself a Bible. (laughs) He literally cut his Bible to pieces. He took his Bible and got something like an X-Acto knife, and he cut big holes in his Bible, and he took the pieces of Jesus' teaching that he liked, and he pasted them in there, right? But anything else that was... Uh, that smacked of supernaturalism or didn't agree with reason, he got rid of it. He threw it away. And when he was all done, his Bible was about 84 pages long. 84 pages long when he was done. So I think he was missing uh, like over a thousand pages there in his Bible, right? And in our day, uh, many are doing the exact same thing. Jefferson was a man of his day. He was a man of the Enlightenment, the age of reason, 
where people thought that you could sort everything out according to human understanding, and we are not much different in the day in which we are living. We like to take the Bible passages that agree with us, that fit our lives and benefit us, and reject the rest, right? Isn't that what we do in our day? If it agrees with us, it's fine, but if God, like uh, Jefferson, wants to inform us, if God wants to get involved in our lives, if God wants to tell us what to do or how to live, no way. Uh, It's got to go. And this is a thing that we need to be on guard against in the church. This is not apostolic teaching. In order for it to be apostolic, you have to take the whole counsel of Scripture together. You cannot just cherry-pick passages of Scripture. You have to take the whole thing. You cannot uh, accept one and exclude another one. You have to take the whole body of literature together. Every bit of revelation from God to us is revelation from God to us. Does that make sense? Everything that he reveals to us is for us, right? Uh, and of course, it has to be understood in its proper context. But nevertheless, all of Scripture must inform our practices, not just a little bit. can't just take the pieces that we like and throw out the rest. That is not apostolic. We are no better than Thomas Jefferson at that point. And if, if that's what we were going to do, we might as well take pages of Scripture from our Bible and rip them out and throw them away. Because we are essentially doing the same thing when we cherry-pick verses of Scripture. So we must take all of the apostles' teaching and hold it together, not just some, not just the pieces that we like in order for it to be apostolic. Another thing that we learn from the apostolic church is that their meetings were centered around the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is to say that the Lord's Supper uh, was the focal point of every one of their meetings. Uh, Jesus was the focal point of every one of their meetings. Every time they gather together, excuse me, I meant to say Jesus is the focal point. Uh, Every time they gather together, their meeting ended with the breaking of bread. That is the celebration of the death of Christ and what it means for our lives today. Now, what are some ways that we have gotten away from this in the church today, from making Jesus Christ the center of our meetings? Well, one is we've taken communion out of our services for the most part. We do have it once a month in our church. Other churches only celebrate it quarterly or once a year, sometimes not at all. Right? Because it's, it's, it's difficult, it's uncomfortable, and, and, it, and it takes a while. It just, it's not practical. And so people just get rid of it out of the services. Right? But in the early church, uh, they had the Lord's Supper. But I think this is connected to something else. One of the main things that we do in our church services today that is antithetical to the gospel and to what we see here in our text is that we've made our services man-centered. We've made our services man-centered. It is all about comfort, in the church today, uh, we want to comfort the person who is walking through the door, who is coming into worship with us. We want to be comfortable, right? And so we, we, hire, uh, we hire the guy who's got the cleanest shirt and the whitest teeth and the prettiest face, right? And if that's what you're going for, Princeville, you failed miserably. <laughs> but really, this is what we do. We hire the guy who is, my wife has a pretty face. Um, we hire the guy who is charismatic, we hire the guy who is outgoing. We hire the guy who has got the big personality. And every single one of our church services are, are, are surrounded around the time in which this man takes center stage for 45 minutes to an hour. And the problem with that sort of thing is the church begins to gather themselves around this man and they begin to follow that man instead of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And what happens when you do that is... Uh, you see the church uh, uh, coming to pieces. The church fails. The church falls apart because that man is a man and he will fail you. 
And when that man fails you, I will fail you. Every man will fail you. The only man who does not fail us is the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you center your service around a man and that man has a moral failing or he leaves the church or something, uh, then oftentimes you'll see churches dissolve right along with it, right? You see oftentimes these big celebrity preachers, they fail or they leave the church and that's it. And the church goes to pieces. Um, so there's that. Making our services man-centered. Uh, man-centered worship services. And one of the other things I think we need to be on guard against, and this is the last thing I'll mention, is allowing production to be the predominant theme in our worship services. Let me say that again. Allowing production to be the predominant theme in our worship services. Do you know what I mean by this? Whenever you take something like the band or the lights or the sound or the building and you make it the focal point of your worship service and not Jesus Christ and not the ministry of his word. You create an entertainment-driven mentality in the church. And all people do when they come through the doors, they want to be entertained by you. They want to come in and see this big production that you put on every week. And what happens in the midst of all that, in the midst of the smoke and the lights and the glamour and the glitz, is you lose sight of Jesus Christ, right? And it all becomes about the production. All of these other things that I previously mentioned are there to serve this purpose. But in the church today, many times we get that the other way around. We get it backwards, right? The the most important thing is the production and is the entertainment uh, piece of our services. And we need to be on guard against uh, against this. And so, God has given us a pattern for church, and therefore we must follow that pattern. Uh, throughout the rest of this section, I, I want to highlight some of the things that came out of this type of worship service, some of the things that just sort of happened organically as a result of gathering together to worship like this in uh, this way. And again, there are four things that I want to mention, uh, but first I'm going to state the, I'll, I'll mention the four things, then I'll state the point, and then we'll go back to the four things. So the four things that we want to mention, four more things, we talked about the four sort of pillars of the early church. Uh, the apostolic church, uh, and now we're going to mention four things that come out of it. They held all things in common. They shared regular worship and fellowship with one another. They gained favor with all the people, and God added to the church. Okay, So here we see that second point. God has given us a pattern uh, for church, and therefore when we follow that pattern, we will be blessed. Okay, Another simple point. God's given us a pattern to follow, so we've got to follow it. And if we follow that pattern, we'll be blessed. Okay? And we see that in verses 43 through 47. And uh, let's read that again, and then we'll go over those four uh, points again. Okay, so 43 through 47. Uh, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all had all, and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay? So I said that there were four things. First of all, 
they held all things in common. They held all things in common. And so what we have here is the first example of Christian communism. Not. (laughs) This is not communism in any sense of the world. That was kind of quiet when I said that. Uh, This is not communism in any sense of the word in which we understand it today. These people gave voluntarily to the church. They were not constrained or forced in any way to give their money to the, chore, uh, to the church. They gave voluntarily to support the needs of others. We see that in Acts chapter 5, verse 4. They were not forced or compelled to do this. They freely did it. And what they did was they created a common kitty so that everybody could uh, uh, dip into that uh, kitty and make use of it whenever they needed. Acts 4.34 tells us that there was not a needy person among them. There was not a needy person among them. How could that be? Well, because they were looking out for one another. They took care of one another. Uh, the rich were selling their possessions. Uh, if, they, if, they, if they had uh, homes or properties that they were able to sell, they would sell those things and give them to the church uh, so that the church could benefit from them. And people who had possessions that they could part with, um, things uh, that they could part with while still maintaining their lives, while still taking care of themselves and their families, they sold them and they gave them to the church so that if anybody was in need, they would have what they needed. This is to say they looked out for one another. Okay, They looked out for one another. They looked out for their community. They made sure that their people were taken care of. Okay, So first, they held all things in common. They looked out for one another. Second, they shared regular worship and fellowship with one another. Now, in the early church, they were not entirely disconnected from temple worship all at once. We see here in our text that they are going up to the temple. And in Acts chapter 3, as I've said, we saw that they go up during the hour of prayer. Uh, But they did separate from the temple, uh, little by little. Like I said, it just doesn't happen uh, all at once. And so they probably still went up for the liturgical prayers to offer praise, and as we see later on in the book of Acts, to bear truth to the witness of, uh, to bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. They were actually witnessing about Jesus Christ when they went down there. But they also separated from the temple and had their own uh, uh, private worship services in houses uh, where they would, uh, they would observe the sacrifice, as it were, when they celebrated the Lord's Supper. I do not think that they were down there observing the sacrifice because they would have been coming to the understanding at least that all of those things were pointing to Jesus Christ. So they're still separating and having Christian worship, right? They just can't do it down there at the temple yet. So you see that the early Christians participated in what would uh, be known today as private worship and public worship, right? Uh, but for them, private worship uh, was a little bit different. For, private, for us, private worship is kind of doing uh, something individually in order to glorify God. But for them, private worship would have been going into their homes and having their own little Christian uh, worship services. Because again, they didn't have a building to worship in like we do today, right? They didn't yet have churches where they could all gather together and, and worship. And so they would do it in their houses. They had house churches, okay? So they regularly shared worship and fellowship with one another, okay? Third, they gain favor with all of the people. Okay, so they regularly worship, have fellowship with God and one another. This next point kind of flows right from it. Third, they gain favor with all of the people. 
In other words, the community around them took notice as these early Christians went up to uh, publicly worship together and as they went home and they had their private uh, Christian meetings where they would have this potluck meal, the, the town around began to notice. People began to notice that these Christians were doing something awesome. And this created an opportunity for them to be a witness to these people if they were interested. Right? Uh, Peter says always to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And so if these people came and asked questions about why they get along so well, why they have such great relationships, why this meeting together by themselves at home is so important, and what's so central to this meal? What is so important about this meal that you guys share together? Uh, They would have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And indeed they did, and people were converted. God used that to draw people into the church. And that is the next point that flows from it. God added to the church. You see how it kind of happens organically? Out of their worship that they have privately and publicly, people begin to ask questions, people come around, they begin to see something awesome is happening, and they tell them about Jesus Christ. Okay? Fourth, God added to the church, and as I've said, this is sort of the natural outgrowth of following these patterns in the early church. God added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's what the text says. God added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is to say that the church grew. (laughs) People were getting converted. Uh, And there's two things that I want to point out about this this statement. First of all, uh, salvation and church membership were not disconnected in the early church. I'll say that again. Salvation and church membership were not disconnected in uh, the early church. God added to the church, those who were being saved. You hear that? God added to the church those who were being saved. That is, they became members of the local church, and they did everything together with the local church that they did. They did not become sort of lone Christians out there on their own, worshiping Jesus however they wanted to, and whenever they wanted to, they became a part of the church, became a part of the life of the church, uh, the local body of believers. God added to the church. That is to say, they were added to their numbers, to their roles. Uh, They uh, became part of a local body and began to participate with them in everything that they did. So it's not disconnected. And second, I said that there were uh, two things that I wanted to mention. The church did not uh, go on some sort of evangelistic mission to make all of this happen. Okay. So first, salvation and church membership are not disconnected. The second thing is that the church did not go on some sort of evangelistic mission to try to make this church uh, growth happen. They did the things that God told them to do, and God uh, God, uh, grew the church. They did the things that God told them to do, and God grew the church. God has determined that he is going to bless some things in this world, right? The means of grace, and that is the way that he... um, That is the way that he grows his church. That is the way that he is determined to spread the gospel and to establish the kingdom in the world. It is through the means that he is appointed to do so. And so we must do the things that God has told us to do, and then God will bless them. Um, So they faithfully continue to worship Jesus. They faithfully continue to worship Jesus, going up to the temple together, uh, and they would do the prayers and and do their thing while they were uh, there publicly. And then they also continue to faithfully worship um, uh, Jesus uh, in their lives, faithfully continuing to bear witness to uh, his truth wherever they went. As I said, they were down there witnessing at the temple. Everywhere they went, everything they did was a witness to Jesus Christ. People saw their togetherness and the things that they did, and they began to ask questions. They got interested. 
uh, most likely they would say, hey, what, what's, what is it about these people? There's something special. And they bear witness about what God is doing in their lives, right? And so they're on mission. There are people who are on mission, right? There are people who worship together, and then whenever they go out there into the world, wherever they are, they're on mission. Does that make sense? And God used that to grow the church organically. It's just how it happened. So it was just a part of who they had become. Their, to, their togetherness, and I'm going to harp on this a little bit, their togetherness, their way of life, and the things that they said became a witness, and God used it to draw people into the church. And God says that, uh, the text says God added to their numbers day by day. Okay, so we see what happened as a result of the church faithfully following uh, this pattern of worship. Uh, This is the model. This is the pattern that God has given us to follow. These are the means that God has determined to bless in the world, and so we ought not to try to reinvent the wheel, right? shouldn't just try to figure it all out on our own when he's already given us a pattern, and it's one that he uh, will bless. Um, We must um, do what God has told us to do, do the things that God will bless and let the chips fall where they may. All right? Do the things God told us to do. Do the things that God has said he's going to bless and let the chips fall where they may. And we have to be content with that. We ha- we, we've got to learn to become content knowing that we're being faithful to God and that's all that matters. And God is going to do what he wills with it. But we know that he has said some things in his word about how he is going to do it. And so we must do those things. All right? <clears throat> One of... Uh, one of the things, um, when we look at the apostolic church, we, we see a couple of things, and I've, I've mentioned this. They were a people who worshipped and served together on a regular basis. Okay? There are people who worship and serve together on a regular basis, and we ought to do the same. We should be a people who gathers together on the Lord's Day to proclaim the praises of our God. And we also ought to be a people who gathers together and uh, worships our God by serving Him regularly, uh, in the things that we do together with one another. And if we do these things, God will bless our services and God will bless our work. And our gatherings should be characterized by love and unity. Our gatherings are to be characterized by love and unity. We ought to have all things in common. Right? That is one goal, one common purpose, doing these things together for the sake of the gospel, giving of ourselves as we are able so that nobody among us is in need. So we ought to have all things in common. Further, our meetings should be characterized by good fellowship. When we, when, we get to pe- when we get together, if people come in here and they join us for worship, they ought to say, man, those people, they really get along together. They really like each other. <laughs> They really love each other over there at Princeville Presbyterian Church. Um, I like what they're doing over there. I want to be a part of that. that. It's good what they have. They care for one another at Princeville Presbyterian Church. They take care of one another at Princeville Presbyterian Church. They're interested in each other's needs. And when people see that and they come in here and say, hey, I want to, I want to be a part of that. It's like a family. I want that, Okay. Um, So, uh, we should be characterized by good fellowship. One of the things that this church faces in this community is the reputation that it has been given because of some of the things that have happened in the past. Um, 
or just sort of the perspective that people have of this church because of an experience that they had while they were here or some things that they might have heard. And in order to destroy that stigma, uh, we have to create a new proven track record of love and faithfulness. That's the only way to do it. New track record, right? You got to start over and... Um, people will notice if, 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 if it's real. And, and I've heard from the elders of this church that there is, there is a, a greater unity in this church that they have, than they have felt in a long time. And people are getting back together, loving one another and serving with one another. But we've got to keep doing that. The exhortation is to keep doing that, to keep growing with one another, to keep building our relationships together. Uh, and that Thing that we're talking about will just sort of happen organically, right? We get a new reputation, a new track record. Um, but we've got to be faithful to keep doing it. Um, we have to share koinonia. This is the word that we've been talking about in our passage today for fellowship. That's partnership with one another. Partnering with one another in everything that we do. We have to be about one another in everything that we do. We are to serve together, to worship together, uh, pray together, be together, <laughs> Just be together, and it, it'll catch on. People say, hey, you know, uh, I like what's going on uh, over there at Princeville. Why, or, or why is it every time I go down to Princeville Presbyterian Church, their meetings are so special? What is it about their meetings that are special? You know, <clears throat> people will want to be a part of of that. That's what you want to be a part of, isn't it? Isn't that, that's what I wanted to be a part of all my life that I was searching for out there in the world and I couldn't find it. Then God saved me and I found the church, right? Found everything that I've been looking for in the church. Um, another way we do this is by serving together in the community. Taking something and consistently being dedicated to it, committing ourselves to it, uh, and serving that thing, whatever it is, together. <laughs> and I keep harping on the togetherness of this whole thing because that is the one thing that characterized the early apostolic church. They did everything together, and people noticed. Their unity and their oneness did not go unnoticed in the early church. The apostles used to go down to the temple together and pray and witness together. And the temple was integral to their community. It was something that everybody was a part of in the community, and it was very visible. So what are some things like that in our community that are integral to our community, that are very visible in our community, that we can go and serve together, that we can be a part of together and serve together? Because again, the way that we gather together as one and commit to one thing for one goal and for one common purpose is a witness to this community and people will begin to ask questions. <clears throat> and we've, we've got to be committed. This is the last thing I want to say on this point. We've got to be committed. Uh, we cannot be in it looking for immediate results. You know what I'm saying? We've got to be committed to the thing. We don't just do it for a little while and just let it go. We've got to commit to doing it and do it for Jesus, right? Right? 
Do it for, for Jesus and for Jesus' sake alone and for the gospel's sake and for the kingdom's sake and let the chips fall where they may. But we have to be committed to that thing, whatever it is. Just don't abandon it, you know? And then God may lead us and say, okay, you know, there's something else. He may make it obvious. He may make it obvious that there's something else that we should be doing over time. But um, what are some of these things? Um, some of these things that are visible. Some of these things that are integral to our community that we can serve. What are some of the needs that we have in our community? Maybe we can think about some of those things. Some of the needs that we have in our community that we can meet together as a church and do it for Jesus, right? Again, and let the chips fall where they may. So, we have seen some of the patterns laid down by the early church. Things that characterized their meetings. And we have seen what God did as a result of the faithfulness of the apostolic church gathering together in these ways to do these things on a regular basis. Uh, The early church was characterized by their commitment to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the fellowship, to communing with one another and to prayer. And these are the means that God has attended, intended to bless in the world. So let us be given to them. These are the things God's determined to bless. We should give ourselves to them, being committed to them as they were, excuse me, as the early church was. And let us trust God to do what he wills in and through them. Okay? Our faithfulness is what matters. We've been given a faithful pattern. So let us be dedicated to following it as best we can.